Well, New Zealanders often complicated relationship to the land is examined in Te Papa's new exhibition, Here Here Whenua, Landscape and Desire. Rebecca Rice, curator historical New Zealand art, and Megan Tamati Quinnell, curator modern and contemporary Maori and indigenous art, have collaborated on it. Rebecca explains the enduring appeal of landscapes in art. I think partly it's that they're a representational painting and people often like things that they know what they're looking at. So we're looking at a mountain, we're looking at a lake, we're looking at a field, uh, and then you can kind of imagine yourself in that place or it might remind you of a place that you know. So I think humans live in places, we uh, form attachments to places and we enjoy looking at pictures of places. Megan, though, this exhibition is more than that, isn't it? It's more than just a collection of lovely landscapes. I think the relationship between us and the land is part of this too. But when you two started working on this, what was your approach? Because you had so many images you could have put in this from the collection. Rebecca was very keen to get out some of the colonial landscapes, which because they haven't had an outing for a long time. And Rebecca works with historical New Zealand art. But the juxtaposition between what people's relationship now or how we see the land now is kind of what we're we're working with. You know, that contemporary kind of relationship, both a Māori and non-Māori, of course, relationship, because you've got people like Tony Delatour in there and Murray Hewitt, their relationship. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, Rebecca said it earlier, human relationships with the land and landscape. We all have attachments to place. It's kind of part of who we are. So it was really looking at those other ideas related to landscape. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, the difference between, say, landscape and whenua and those kinds of concepts, which are two different concepts, obviously. We time travel with this exhibition. So let's go back to those colonial works that you were really keen to bring out. And I saw one by William Hodges. And when I look at them, they're so romantic, you know, aren't they? They're so nostalgic and romantic of a time. What do you see when you look at those early works? Oh, well, the Hodges is a beautiful painting. So you do see this stunning representation of the Southern Alps that Cook and his crew have voyaged into this inlet in Tamatea in Fiordland. Um, so the first time that European eyes are setting sight on these places. You get a sense that even he was overwhelmed by it because it would have been so different to anything Absolutely. he would have seen. I mean, imagine you've travelled from the other side of the globe, you've been at sea for months on end, and then you land in this place that is plentiful, that the fish are kind of hanging off the line when you put it in the water. Uh, there are birds galore. They even put a garden in. So Megan and I have kind of talked about that landscape as representing the first kind of European representations of place, but also the first kind of European attempts to almost not settle, but to put gardens in the ground to actually make a mark Release on that goats. land. <laughs> really? Release goats and other oh, animals. Yeah, they got a lot I to answer it for. Was to see how they all operated there. And it is kind of that thing about wanting to then, you know, are you then coming back to colonise that place? So testing some things out, which was interesting. Mark Adams, who's a New Zealand photographer, talked about Hodges being a tūpuna for him because he's the first person who depicted our New Zealand landscape and of course he photographs landscape often and the relationships between both um, settler culture and Māori really indigenous culture but also through that relationship with land so he's often photographing those things and Hodges for him was a real anchor as an artist he said for him he's his 
his ancestor, his tūpuna, because he's the first to depict that landscape from a European view. Mm. And politics too, particularly here, I think, almost impossible to separate the two, the land and the, and the politics, Rebecca. So I mean, were you looking at images thinking this also? You can't escape it when you're Mm. dealing with the colonial period. So we're looking at landscapes that both picture the majestic scenery of place. But even in that, there's a political act of saying, look at this majestic country that we Europeans have found, picturing it as unpeopled, as you said, romantic landscapes. And yet we know that there were people, as Megan said, that are occupying and that know those places much more intimately than those Europeans did. And then we have a selection of works that look at the idea of the landscape as a very productive place, which is part of that European desire to demonstrate progress in the land, to civilise it, to tame it, to make it productive. Well, they were were desperately trying to bring people over here, weren't they? And I imagine that these images were part of their marketing campaign, right? 100% pure marketing campaign. Back in the (laughs) 19th century, it all started there. (laughs) Absolutely. What are a couple of the other images that you're from this early period that you think are striking in in the exhibition? What do they say to us now? Well, I'm particularly fond, and I think Megan as well, of a very small, modest landscape by, we don't know which one, but the Messenger Sisters. So it's quite delightful, and it pictures a house being made in this landscape. So there are tree stumps, there's a little church off to the right, there's, you know, this kind of bush that's being tamed, cleared to try and make a life for these this family that's immigrated from the United Kingdom. And so there's a poignancy there that on the one hand there's you know these sisters who played piano and read books landing in the art back of Taranaki and trying to make a home there. And then on the other hand you have the kind of so we've got the settling but then you've also got the unsettling present in the exhibition. Well we the, know about Taranaki and of course hmm. what what happened there, you know, that hmm. whole history and you must are you looking at this too in, in some of the works, Megan? Very slightly, um, we have a a selection of works by Wayne Yule, which really actually looks at the land deed here in Wellington, which was one of the first land deeds and the things that were exchanged. So I thought that we've got an image on the webpage, 100 red blankets. That's it. It's it's the words. It's still within this landscape exhibition. Yeah, so he was talking about that exchange that went on and what was traded. And, of course, they're called, because it's Wayne, who's kind of a cultural prankster in some ways um, they're called what do you say savages and so it's all the things that were offered and it's actually accurate to the list of what was exchanged for Wellington and there's some completely odd things in there 43 items on the list as part of that suite of works and some of these works even though we acquired them a little while ago haven't been shown so it's an opportunity to kind of do that as well it talks about what those transactions were if you know what I mean. It's indicative of not only the land deal that happened in Wellington, but across the country. So that's why we've used it in that way. So it's not a landscape as such, but it's referencing landscape. Oh, I'm really interested in that. What are some of the other, well, I was going to say tangential, but it's not because it's linked. But what are some of the other ones where you think, oh, I'm not seeing a mountain. I'm not seeing, <laughs> I'm not seeing um, Moana. I'm, this is something other. Are there any others in there? There's some sculptures that are in there by um, the late Matt Penny, who was quite a senior Māori artist from Whanganui and connected to Tuwhari Tua. And he did a whole series of works called his F-series, starting in 1977 
and then he reworked them in 1979 when he was a Francis Hodgkins Fellow. And they really map land, in particular, par sites. So they're kind of, he was interested in earthworks and land art and all those kinds of things, but he mapped place through these par sites. So there's one that's based on Te Poriri, and it's made out of PVC pipe, so he used kind of everyday material. He calls himself a post-minimalist Māori artist. He was really interested in people like Carl Andre and Robert Smithson and all of those kinds of people. Also women artists called Mary Miss and Alice Aycock, who worked with architecture as well as earth and land. And then there's another work called Impressions on Gate Par, but that one is, again, more more conceptual and more kind of tangential, and it's about um, the movement of that par. So this is about gate par, and there's one form, which is a frame, and one that's like a bridge. They look like giant children's toys, and one that's a stepladder. And this is actually a remade work from 1979, made last year or the year before. Anyway, it was about creeping, crawling, and climbing, so it was about the movement and how you'd bodily map that landscape so there's some works in there that are not like landscapes as such but absolutely reference landscape or our relate our relationship with land got some photography rebecca in here too i see there is a, a triptych of photographs by Shane Cotton, where the title of the show comes from, Here, Here. An, an unusual work, again, a work that was bought but never been seen. I mean, he's known as a painter. This is a photograph, and he said he took them, and his thing was Here, Here, you know, to do with desire, which means want or desire. And on there's three images, and they sit together, and it's just the top of a kind of a moanga. And he's actually shot it as he's going past in the car, so it gets smaller, recedes, that moanga. You know, it's that emotional response, our, your desire to be connected to the land in some shape or form, but often divorced from it. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, we talked um, before about these beautiful early colonial works, and that's a gentleness... To them, I mean, we think of our landscape as really rugged and hard out, right? But there's a there's a it's a beautiful image. When did that start to change? When did you notice that maybe they got more? I don't know if it's photorealistic or a slightly different attitude. You know, that style of painting started to go out of fashion, and maybe something a little different started to come in. Yeah. So the rise of landscape and Western art really maps the rise of empire. So it reaches its peak in the 19th century, and with artists like. Uh, George O'Brien, John Gully, Charles Blomfield and all of those names. Landscape really dominates 19th century art. It's in all of the exhibitions. And this is when there's a lot of travelling going on, so it makes sense. There's a lot of people exploring the backcountry and making sketches and then creating paintings when they're back in their studio. Uh, And it's not just artists based in New Zealand. It's artists like Nicolas Chevalier who produce paintings decades after their visits based on the watercolour drawings they made while they were here. Um, But even in the 1880s, Critics and commentators are starting to say, oh, you know, this landscape, perhaps our artists should be stretching themselves in other ways and finding other subjects for their art, or perhaps paying attention to less rugged landscapes because we actually want to encourage people to settle here. So we need to show that this is not just a land of mountains and fjords, but also a land of milk and honey. So so, so was there a definite period in New Zealand that you do see this change? Definitely. Well, Gully dies 1888-89 and he was really the turner of the Pacific and I think with him 
the landscape also begins its demise. So you get artists that we don't show in this exhibition that are moving into a more impressionist mode of picturing the you know, the more average landscape, the things you see out the back of your window, the, the views down the road, rather than having to climb into the Alps to find these majestic lakes and rushing waterfalls. Megan and I find often find ourselves working together because there is a real conversation. Often contemporary artists are really looking back to those historical moments to challenge or interrogate them because their legacies are still with us today. And also those histories, interrogating those histories, the histories of settlement and what that kind of means to people now. So there's a work, for example, of um, Emily Caracas in there, which really looks at Ihu Matau. And it's a very political work, of course, and it really talks about the confiscation of that land and the Kingitanga's relationship with it. But it also talks about the complication of iwi politics and what happens when things become fractured even within iwi because of these things that were set and set at a time, not necessarily at that time, but, you know, as part of that process. So it's kind of an interesting, I I think there's an an interesting tension, and we quite like the tension, between the colonial or the historical and the contemporary kind of moment. And there's a bit of a tension there. And they actually, in the show, what's nice is they actually play off really well against one another. The Tony De La Tour work, which you've, we've got on the webpage, and I remember talking to Tony when he started working on these, so finding op shop mm. old landscapes and putting other images, you know, painting other images on them. I mean, they're fascinating. So which of his have you chosen and why? We have two in the collection from that revisionist painting series, and one of them's called Send Off, and the other one's called Lookout, which has a double kind of fantastic double entendre in terms of its meaning. Uh, and both of those, uh, as you say, paintings he's found in op shops. One of them is quite fantastic because it's actually a copy of a very famous 19th century landscape by Eugene von Gerard by a New Zealand female artist that then Tony has restored, in inverted commas, as he puts it. So I loved when the paintings were in the lab, um, having just a little bit of treatment before they went on show and turning it over and seeing Tony's inscription, Restoration by Tony de la Tour. <laughs> and so what he's done is then populate what he kind of considered these almost empty stages with little beastly figures. A little lion the Heraldic lions. Yeah. Um, small monkey in one. <laughs> yeah, the Kiwis, they're hurling um, New, Zealand's. You know, New Zealand's into the lake. So they're, they're these wonderful kind of challenges because I think, first of all, you just scan the wall and you don't really get what's going on. And then you look closer and go, oh, okay, there's a bit of a challenge here to this colonial or landscape. A bit of a shift, a slight mm. shift. And, you know, it's humorous, and, but it's also an absolute critique. Mm. So, I mean, that's. And a reclaiming. Yeah, a reclaiming. And yeah. in, in, in a revisioning like Rebecca's saying. So I think the show, with those two, I think there's there's a lovely way to play off each other. Those early works, Rebecca, where were were the most painted landscapes? Because you spoke before that this was really an advertising campaign, if you like, not only for the settlers who'd arrived, but for those to come. So when you're looking at the collection, where, where did most of those early colonial painters head to? Definitely the southern lakes and the South Island and the fjords. And the thing about that is there's also, we forget about the international networks that were active in the 19th century as well. So artists were visiting uh, Fjordland from Australia 
and sketching and painting and making works based on the New Zealand landscape in an incredibly regular way. So we always underestimate, I say, the Victorians in terms of mobility and their engagement with different places and different landscape. This is a little naughty question really for curators, but if you were allowed, as a thank you for all your great work, if you were allowed to have one of the images from this exhibition and put it in your home, Megan, which one would it be? Probably, oh, well, I'd have a few, but... Um, no, I'd you're probably, only allowed one. Oh, I'm only allowed one. I'd probably <laughs> take know, the karaka. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a stunning work. Rebecca, would it be Hodges? Uh, no, I'd probably take this gorgeous little George O'Brien that we have in the show, which is a divine little watercolour of Otago Peninsula. And as a Dunedin girl, that would probably be the one that I'd take. And what's the story behind that one? Uh, George O'Brien was a architect draftsman, but also just painted in an exquisite kind of almost pre-Raphaelite manner, so quite heightened palette, lots of sunset views and a really kind of crisp delineated line to his paintings. And it's just a beautiful view looking up from maybe where Lionel's Castle is back down a valley at sunset. So you've got the lovely undulating hills. Yeah, it's just a gorgeous little thing. Those early watercolours, you must have to take particular care of them because they were, they're old and they're fragile. So how do you approach that in an exhibition like this? Can they only be seen for so long? Absolutely. So we work with our conservators to figure out how vulnerable the works are and then establish a plan for the amount of light that will be on them during the show. So the light levels will be lower for works on paper. And then we also limit the time so that we are not causing any fading to the works. So maybe three or four months and then they go, have to go back to storage. Have a little rest. Curators Megan Tamati Quinnell and Rebecca Rice, Here Here Fenua, Landscape and Desire, opens at Toy Art at Te Papa in Te Whanganui, Tara Wellington on Saturday.